This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Polk Runyon, and tonight we review and discuss the 1934 horror classic, Creep Shadow Creep, by fantasy grandmaster Abraham Merritt. Now, this forgotten tale has influenced such modern films and TV shows as Dark Shadows and recently Outlander. It deals with a family feud that carries on for thousands of years between reincarnating ancestors of two ancient Breton Celtic clans, the Lord of Karnak and the royal family of the legendary sunken city of East. In their present 1930s incarnations, an anthropologist specializing in the occult, like Indiana Jones, and a psychiatrist specializing in hypnotic age regression with a beautiful daughter who was and is a reincarnating evil soul-stealing witch. This story was the second in a series of such tales by Merritt, being the sequel to Burn Witch Burn, 1934, which was made into a film with Lionel Barrymore and influenced both Twilight Zone and the Chucky series. So, if you want to discover the roots of ancient evil surviving in the deep mind, tune in and we'll explore the dark world of the creeping shadows. Now, before getting into this evening's subject, I would like to call attention to previous Hermetic Hour reviews on Abraham Merritt and his work, which you can access, download, and enjoy on our Blog Talk Radio website. So get your pencils ready. I'll count from one to ten. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and now you have your pencils. On June 26, 2014, we aired a show called Abraham Merritt, Grandmaster of Magical Fantasy, which you can find on uh, page 14 on the website. And then on June 9, 2016, we aired Decoding the Moon Pool which is archived on page number four. And uh, Decoding the Moon Pool uh, 
is uh, not listed if you do a search on Abraham Merritt, but uh, it's uh, you'll find it uh, you'll find it on page number four down there in the page blocks. Now, with these references duly noted, let us proceed with Creep Shadow Creep. As you may already know, Abraham Merritt, one of America's highest-paid journalists, was also an amateur archaeologist and folklorist, a world traveler with a huge library of books on archaeology, folklore, and the occult. His stories often involve heroes who are reincarnations of ancient Celtic or Norse warriors. And in this tale, he exploits the ancient Celtic Druidic belief that reincarnation followed the bloodlines of the family or the clan down through the ages. (coughs) In this case, he combines two legendary features of ancient Brittany on the west coast of France, known as Armorica or Gaul in Roman of Gaul in Roman times. Now, two adjacent seacoast promontories, the prehistoric monoliths of Karnak and the sunken city or castle of Is, which is spelled Y-S and pronounced Is. The anthropologist is Alan Karnak. And he is the familial reincarnation of Elaine de Karnak, Elaine, A-L-A-I-N, de Karnak, the tribal chieftain of a Celtic clan that inhabits the area of the ancient Karnak monoliths. And he is the vassal of the royal family of the seacoast city of East. Alan Karnak was and will be again the last lover of Lady Dahu, that's spelled D-A-H-U-T, it's pronounced Dahu, the White Witch of Is, is the daughter of its king, now both of whom have reincarnated in the form of the psychiatrist, Dr. de Caradal, and his bewitchingly beautiful daughter. who, in her ancient embodiment, was said to have murdered all of her lovers except the last one, who so beguiled her that she gave him her father's key to the sea gates of the city, which he unlocked and flooded, drowning them all. Of course, the city of East was below the sea level, uh, and we'll discuss the legend of, of East uh, further on. Now, in Mara's retelling of the legend, uh, her last lover was Elaine de Karnak. And uh, like Perseus uh, came to Medusa, he came to free his people from paying a blood tribute of human sacrifice to the Druidic witch cult of Is. And while Lady Dehu makes ghostly shadow slaves of her dead lovers, her father, the king and high priest, de Caradel, feeds Elaine de Karnak's people to a dark, soul-stealing god 
called the gatherer. Now, in ancient times, the Caradal forced Elaine de Karnak to participate in these horrific human sacrifices. Now, the mad doctor de Caradal's ultimate goal, and that's here in the 1930s, of course, hit that his ultimate goal is to physically manifest the gatherer in this dimension and to rule the world as his human regent. And to this end, he is determined to hypnotically control Alan Karnak and again force him to aid in the sacrifices as part of his reenactment of the ancient rite. Now, in the modern world of the 1930s, Dr. de Caradell seeks to recreate this ancient environment, not in France, but on the Atlantic coast of Rhode Island. And to obtain funds for building such an expensive supernatural theme park, he uses his daughter's talents. She dispatches her shadows in the form of Sukabi to seduce wealthy bachelors and drive them to suicide after they have willed their fortunes to her father's nonprofit foundation. And it is not a coincidence that three of these victims are friends of Alan Karnak and his associate, the psychiatrist, Dr. Lowell. Now, at a dinner party arranged by Lowell, Alan Karnak, Dr. DeCaradell, and his daughter begin their mental chess game which Lady Tahu continues later in her New York apartment with Alan. Now, this scene owes much to Ryder Haggard's she, as Tahu evokes the romance of a previous lifetime in Alan's vision. Alan Karnak reports to Dr. Lowell, and they take counsel. Alan will accept an invitation from the DeCaradels to visit their seaside retreat in Rhode Island. Lowell arranges with the Ricori Mafia family that he has affiliated with in the previous story. That's Burnwich Burn. And the mafiosos will provide reconnaissance and backup for Alan's visit. Ricori's lieutenant, is a Texas cowboy named McCann who visits the neighborhood and returns with a detailed report. And he swaps Allen's 32 caliber automatic for a more powerful 380 uh, and briefs the anthropologist on the surveillance he has established. McCann also uh, has discovered the modern source of the Caradell's human sacrifice victims a Depression-era poverty farm with several hundred inmates is adjacent to DeCaradell's acreage, and several of the inmates have already gone missing. Armed with this information and McCann's gun, Alan meets Lady Dahu at the marina, and they sail on to DeCaradell, and they sail on DeCaradell's yacht uh, from New, uh, to the New Yeast Estate. 
East, East. And I, and I, I keep wanting to pronounce it East, but it's pronounced East. Uh, once there, Alan plays another mental chess game with the master hypnotist, Dr. DeCaradell, and his seductive daughter. He is lured, drugged, and seduced into an illusory dream world where he relives his ancient participation in the human sacrifices. Now, this is a preparation for manipulating him into participating in DeCaradell's modern reenactment. Dehu competes with her father to dominate Alan. She hypnotizes him into her shadow land, but the love of, of Alan's uh, girlfriend, Helen, reaches out across the miles into his mind and saves him from Dehu's spells. And he wakes, comes to his senses, from his sleepwalking dream world at the cairn of the sacrifices, where DeCaradell and his daughter are feeding the last of the blood to the materializing dark god. But just as the gatherer is about to take physical form, lightning flashes down, and an offshore earthquake raises a huge tidal wave that crashes down on the cairn and the new castle of East, drowning DeCaradell and his daughter just as they were drowned 2,000 years before. Now, if we need a moral to this story, we might say, in retrospect, that DeCaradell's experiment was more successful than even he imagined it would be, as he manifested both the god of darkness and the god of light almost simultaneously. Now, of course, the most important aspect of this story at least from a magical hermetic point of view, is the connection of hypnosis and magic and the theme of hypnotic age regression. (coughs) Now, as we have noted, this story has influenced numerous later works, such as Dark Shadows and, and the TV series Outlander. It is also followed by Poole and Karen Anderson's three-decker novel, The King of East. 1986. But Merritt's book also has its predecessors. The Demoiselle de East from The King in Yellow by Robert Chambers, 1895, and as mentioned above, Ryder Haggard's She, 1887. Now, uh, before we get into The Legend of East and Karnak, which we'll deal with, uh, I'd like to mention that um, the, the nature of the sacrifices. These uh, these people, both uh, in ancient times and in, in Karnak, and this, by the way, the way Merrick conceives this, it occurred uh, almost before Christianity. Um, and... Uh, we, we we should point out that that, that uh, the monoliths at Karnak, the actual monoliths, are pre-Celtic. They're seven thousand years old. This is one of the oldest, the oldest uh, uh, formations 
extant. Of course, there, there are some some recently discovered over in Turkey that are older, but this is seven thousand. This is before the these stones at Karnak were raised before the pyramids of Egypt, and they were pre-Celtic. But of course, naturally, when the Celts came in uh, and the Druids, they they appropriated them. Uh, and we are to assume, of course, that uh, that uh, uh, that Elaine de, Car- de, de Carnac and his clan uh, were were uh, were Celts, and and uh, and of course, uh, de Caradel and his and his daughter de Who they they're they're also Celts and, and Druidic, and uh, this these sacrifices that were supposedly made at the cairn down down by the sea. Uh, the, uh, at, the ter- at the terminus of the of the monoliths. Now the monoliths in uh, in Karnak are different than Stonehenge in, in over in England, all the same, the same period. But they're, they're different in that they they're, they march in a column, in a column of twos, over miles down to the down to the sea where there's this uh, where there's this this rock uh, formation where the sacrifices supposedly took place. Now. Uh, we'll get into some you know, some of the legends about the stones a little bit uh, further on, but uh, but according to Merritt, these uh, these human sacrifices that were made down down at the cairn, uh, they took the victim and put them on the altar and crushed the chest with a with a stone maul, a hammer. And and then crushed the chest, and the blood flowed, of course, into a into a, a vessel, which they they you know was the offering. Uh, now, quite frankly, I can find no reference. I can't find a reference in in the Golden Bough. I can't find a reference in in uh, 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 Lewis Spencer's nineteen seventeen book uh, on on the, on the Druids. I can't find a reference anywhere to that kind of a sacrifice in connection with the Celts. Uh, and and I asked my 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 esteemed colleague Ann Fennon, who who is uh, you know the uh, the gracious lady of the Roebuck, and uh, who uh, our our number one Celtic uh, Wicca clan. And and uh, and the and the Anne is, is an authority on on uh, on, on Celtic uh, Celtic rituals and superstitions and that sort of thing. And 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 Anne couldn't remember uh, anything like that in, in anything she's uh, she's studied uh, on uh, and uh, on uh, Celtic sacrifices. So I don't know where Merritt got this. And if anybody out there listening knows where. Where Merritt and Merritt was a very good researcher, so I I think he must have it must have been something that uh, somebody must have dug up some some uh, skeletons with a ribcage crushed or something like that. He gave Merritt the idea of this, um, and and we also we should mention though, of course, that as we said before, that uh, that the stones at Karnak are pre-Celtic. They really are pre-Druidic, just like Stonehenge is pre-Druidic, but they were appropriated, of course, by the Druids, obviously. Um, 
so we don't really know where he where he got this idea for crushing the crushing the chests. Uh, but uh, of course, the the, the, sacri- the druids did did human sacrifice, and uh, mostly though they 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 sacrificed prisoners of war or or, or uh, um, criminals or what it, it, whatever, and. Uh, you, you all recall the wicker man, of course. You know, and they, they usually sacrifices were were done done that way. But uh, this this is uh, the, the Karnak legend and the legend of East of the sunken city are two separate um, legends of, of Brittany, which which uh, um, merit combined in in this story. Um, and uh, let's let's explore the legend of, of uh, first the legend of East and uh, the legend of East is is fascinating. It kind of relates to Atlantis and uh, and it uh, and it uh, is a, it it it, it, it Represents a phenomenon that uh, that uh, along that coast, the coast of, uh, of both the coast of England and the coast of France, that um, that repeats itself over and over again. Uh, the tides, for one thing, the tides in that area are extreme, and and uh, they have extreme tides, like the Bay of Fundy and a lady. These extreme tides, and and uh, um, quite often, as uh, Anne was explaining to me the other night, uh, that, that castles were built out on these promontories, uh, and, and 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 often they were built on islands where the promontory. Uh, had a you know the the, the the promontory ended with sort of an well, sort of an island and 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 at high tides you couldn't you you you, uh, you the road over to the castle was 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 flooded and uh, and there's several of these these uh, monasteries and castles and uh, East was uh, uh, was probably one of the earliest of this this type um, but. It was probably built, if it is as old as, as as the legend indicates, it was probably built back when the sea level was actually lower. And, you know, as we know, uh, 12,000 years ago, you could walk from Paris to Dublin and not get your feet wet because the sea level was quite a bit lower. And and so if, if East was, in fact, built... Back around, you know, in the beginning of the Neolithic, or what we call the Neolithic, uh, around 12,000 years ago, then it could have been built, and then, uh, and then, like Atlantis, they could have kept, uh, you know, as the sea level began to rise and the ice melted, the sea level began to rise. Global warming. <laughs> yeah, the uh, then yeah, right, and and then. And as the sea water began to rise, they began to build these dikes around the, you know, around the city, 
the same thing that happened to Atlantis. And, and then all it takes, you know, is one bad storm or, or an earthquake and, 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 and your city's flooded. And uh, the interesting thing about it, about these, uh, is that that here you have these, these sea gates. Well, now, this is the, the sea gate, as Paul Anderson points out, is not a modern canal lock. Now, in modern times, and here again, I'm I'm, I'm falling back on Paul, Paul Anderson. Uh, um, in modern times, you have you have locks that control uh, the, the the levels of water, you know, like in the Panama Canal, what have you. But they didn't have that kind of technology back then, and and so what it's described. Although we well, they didn't. We don't think they did. But then maybe we we, we really don't know, you know. <laughs> Because according to the legend of East, they had uh, these elaborate bronze gates in the dike, uh, and and the um, and the king, the king of East had the key, and he kept it you know, around his neck, and and, uh, and so if if he wanted to, he could open up the three gates. And let him, you know, flood the city if if he if he chose to do that. Uh, he had the he had the key. Now, here again, according to legend, his daughter, the who, uh, the white witch, uh, she was kind of like Bluebeard or or the uh, the king in in Shahrazad, you know, who she kept taking these lovers and tiring of them and murdering. Murdering them and and uh, enslaving their ghosts. She was she was a ghost slaver, and as we all know, ghost slaving is the one of the most evil forms of black magic. And uh, and she was one of the original ghost slavers. And and uh, then finally, one one lover of hers was so hard to get. He played so hard to get. He wouldn't kiss her. He he just uh, he he was so uh, he he played hard to get to the point where she became absolutely obsessed with him, and and to win his to win his love, and he he according to legend told her, well, if you get me the the key to the you know to the sea gates, then I will share my love with him. So. So she did, and sure enough, he opened the sea gates and flooded the city because the city was evil, and he was, uh, and, and uh, she was just one of several witch queens that uh, that dominated the city, and 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 so uh, flooded the city, and her father, uh, she and her father tried to ride out, ride out uh, on horseback, but uh, the road. You know the road got flooded. They they got drowned. There's a there's a, a famous painting of that. If if you go on uh, Wikipedia, you'll see the painting, the flight of King Gradlion by E. V. Uh, Luminace, 1884, and shows uh, the king and and he's you know in the in the in the surf being falling off the horse and being drowned. 
And that that's, that was the legend. And connecting it with Karnak, which which is another promontory uh, uh, in in Brittany, was was Merritt's idea. Uh, the first reincarnation of uh, the Demoiselle, the the East, uh, that's the Who, the Who. That was the first story was written by by Robert Chambers back in 1885, and it's it was one of the stories in a collection of, of stories of his called The King in Yellow, which, as most of us know, was was quite a uh, an influence on H.P. Lovecraft, and of course, obviously, also an influence on Merritt, and uh, because uh, uh, this is about one of the uh, about a uh, a young man who uh, art student who um, who goes down to the uh, down to the coast in Brittany and and finds uh, an old chateau and and uh, encounters uh, the demoiselle Dees. Uh, in her in her uh, incarnation at the time, and and we have this this uh, time warp uh, story, and uh, and 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 Merritt was obviously influenced by that, but he but Merritt's own imagination connected uh, Karnak uh, with uh, you know uh, with, with uh, with these, he put the legends together. Now let's talk a little bit about Karnak. Uh, Karnak is one of the most amazing uh, Neolithic uh, ruins, um, like Stonehenge, and it's about from the same period. Got uh, a website here is it you have heard or you must have heard about prehistoric Stonehenge alignment in England a mysterious solar clock or maybe a lunar calendar uh, simply or simply a burial ground we don't know for sure to this day uh, I want to tell you about the Manhurs and Dolmans in good old Brittany in France the erected granite stones found in several places in the salted land with the most prominent ones seen in Karnak, and they're older than Stonehenge, which is 4,500 B.C. versus 3,000. You know, they're older than Stonehenge, 4,500 B.C. versus 3,000 B.C. The legend wants the giant Karnak stones to be the stuff of enchantment and superstitions. The dense collection of megalithic rocks includes dolmens, menhirs, tumuli, and other alignments. Menhir is a word in the Breton language that means long stone, mean stone, uh, and her meaning, meaning long. Some 3,000 tall stones, I get this, some 3,000 tall stones erected 7,000 years ago at Karnak. By the pre-Celtic people of Brittany, it is unclear why the story of St. Cornelius 
turning pagan soldiers of Rome into stones, or why the wizard Merlin was also possibly responsible for entire Roman legions to be turned to stone, as both these happenstances would have been no older than the first century. For those familiar with Merlin, he was a good wizard in the Arthurian, uh, King Arthur legend, and even though he was allegedly born in Britain, he died and was buried in Brittany. Was Merlin a real person? The fog over Brittany will never reveal such a secret. But in the history of that part of France, Merlin was sometimes a holly tree and sometimes a wise man. The forest of Bracolindy in Brittany was often used as a site of magical happenings involving several legendary wizards and fairies, as well as some of King Arthur's knights of the round table, working undercover to assure the pursuit of the Holy Grail and the preservation of peace. In Arthurian times, Brittany was not yet part of France, but was its own kingdom, sometimes even considered a colony of Britain, as many Britons came to settle there. In France, England is also called uh, Grand Britannia, which means Great Brittany. Great Britain, interesting. Druids in Brittany were real and were the medicine men of their time. They roamed the land of pines, roses, and wild lavender, scavenging roots and flowers to make special potions and ointments from the products of the earth. And with the power to heal and to treat the mystical side, it's easy to imagine surrounding such creatures. Brittany is very much filled with myths and fairy tales, with sentiment of knowing that none of it can be the truth. The oral traditions are stronger in Brittany than history books, and the deep forests of the lands are very good at hiding facts. Some of the rock formations clearly look like massive tables or perhaps just shelters. Were they used for sacrifices? Maybe a goat or two saw their final moment flash in front of their eyes while lying on the cold stones in the darkness of a tragic, moonless night. My grandparents had a small dolmen in their backyard, and they used to tell us kids that it was a sacred stone where you could lay one hand and solemnly make a wish to your, uh, of your desire. I have many unfulfilled wishes waiting for that particular stone to make, to make them happen. If these dolmens were tombs, the acidic soil of Brittany has long eaten away the human bones. The dolmens are usually made of several standing stones capped by a flat top laying on the legs. And some of them were gigantic monuments such as the Kroonkunow Dolmen, a 40-ton semi-flat table stone, about 25 feet, supported by 5-foot, 11-inch high pillars. Smaller stones in perfect alignment remind the eye of a modern cemetery. But the fact that no bones are left makes it impossible to confirm the true meaning of the strange stones, as if they were indeed graves, why only at a few special spots in the province of Brittany? Why not all over the country? Ireland, England, France, and India all have well-documented such stones. They're probably all tombstones. 
Was it a way to preserve bodies from the harsh elements, to have them buried under such heavy stones, but the mystery of how such heavy stones were moved around and aligned in sometimes perfect symmetry remains an unexplained phenomenon. The remarkable alignment of Karnak is unique in the world, and even though it might not be as famous as Stonehenge, it remains an eerie, beautiful mark of our ancestors' prints on the earth. Well, now, Karnak, as I said, the stones march in column down to the sea. And, and another legend says that each one of these stones has a shadow attached to it. Now, the main thing, the main thing that in uh, Creep Shadow Creep, that is of considerable importance magically, um, and, you know, as I say in their medic tradition, is this idea of hypnotic age regression. And, and because those of you who have experienced, uh, you know, path workings and, 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 uh, and the magical lodge, you know that we do this. We, we, we do uh, uh, do age regression. It's something that, that, that uh, no, we do in the OTA, of course. And, and, and we, we go back and, uh, and take the soul back as far as good. And, you know, I don't know, and I'm, I don't really know how much, how much of this, these previous lifetimes, whether they're followed by bloodline or whether they or whether they are followed, you know, they come out of the Akashic record. I don't know how, I am not going to, to venture an opinion, but I will say that, that uh, this idea of ancestral uh, in, uh, reincarnation has a great deal of, uh, of anecdotal evidence to support it. And, uh, and 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 people have had psychedelic experiences that that confirm this that that you carry you you carry your ancestors with you and this belief is not not just a belief of the of the ancient druids it's, it's a belief in many parts of the world and uh, uh, many many different cultures now. In Creep Shadow Creep, Merritt, who is a, is, is a very talented writer, he he manages to get the picture to bring to life the the dream world of, uh, of this the shadow world of of the, of the Sukhavi and and the uh, and the ghosts of these uh, these sacrificial victims and 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 uh this is what i think is the part of the story that uh, that is the most powerful is this is this this dreamscape that uh that the witch Tahu is able to uh uh is able to to inflict upon her victims and and as we said in the uh, you know in the review, um, she she sends out her shadows that she controls to in the form of Sukubi 
to seduce these wealthy uh, victims, and and then she herself uh, uh, meets them socially, and and, uh, and and she gets them to leave uh, uh, to leave their money uh, to her father's uh, nonprofit foundation, and of course. They're, what they're trying to do is use that money to replicate uh, the standing stones and, and the current of sacrifice uh, to replicate it just as it uh, in the same pattern as Karnak, and and um, and then they have a they have a, a mansion that they have converted into a castle very much like uh, that of, of East and. In Descartes' experiment, his experiment, that he calls it an experiment, is if he can make this replication, and then he uses these uh, uh, these poor uh, homeless homeless uh, victims of the American Depression who who are on a poverty farm right adjacent to his to his uh, land. And he uses them as his victims, and and he believes that if he does this ritual uh, exactly the way it was done, that he can bring the same dark god into manifestation. And of course, as the story goes, he 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 all he virtually succeeds in doing this, but he he manages to manifest the god the god of darkness, but at the same time uh, he brings down the the wrath of the god of light, uh, and and uh, and uh, this is kind of a Duke's Ex Machina ending, in a sense. Uh, uh, you know, I I I thought the way the way this thing was going that uh, that uh, Ricori and his mafioso uh, soldiers were going to end up, you know, uh, end up coming in and. And and shooting up the ceremony with Tommy guns that that was that was the way you, you think it's going to end, but that's not the way it ends. As a matter of fact, uh, when the when the tidal wave hits, uh, Ricori uh, uh, gangsters are down there on the beach, and and uh, and they're prepared to make the assault, but they're drowned. They're drowned along with uh, with Dehu and and uh, and uh, De Caradell. and so so uh, in this sense, uh, uh, Ricori and his mafiosi they 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 sort of end up uh, providing sacrifices themselves. It's uh, the story is very very evocative and very fascinating. It would make a very very interesting film. Um, and uh, I think a more interesting film than its predecessor, Burn Witch Burn, which now in, in Burn Witch Burn, um, the uh, the villainess was a witch, uh, Madame de Lep, uh, who made little devil dolls. Uh, who these little devil dolls were animated, and they they actually <laughs> they actually. Uh, Caused, you know, uh, they actually attacked their victims, and and as uh, as I said, they this this influenced the Twilight Zone uh, episode, which 
which also in turn influenced the Chucky series and the little, you know, the little deadly little dolls. And something's been used before, but but uh, um, this is nowhere near as as sinister and and uh, and and effective as um, as Dahu and her and her ghost slaving with her with her shadows. And quite frankly, I think that uh, uh, Creep Shadow Creep is is a real classic of American horror. And, and and equal to uh, equal to anything Lovecraft uh, came up with, and uh, and in in the same you know in in the same uh, uh, venue, and uh, it 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 kind of reminds you a little bit of the case of Charles Dexter Ward, and and uh, frankly I I would uh, I strongly recommend it if uh, if you like merit. And, and of course, uh, I encourage you, uh, you all, to uh, to go and, and uh, search out our, our other shows on Abraham Merritt and uh, reviewing his other works like the Ship of Ishtar and the Moon Pool and and uh, some of the and the Dwellers in the Mirage, which is another one about uh, reincarnating ancient warrior um, and and human sacrifices uh, to a uh, to an interdimensional demon, which uh, which is a theme that uh, that Merritt was particularly good at, and as far as acquiring uh, a copy of uh, of uh, Creep Shadow Creep, uh, you're going to have to settle at this point for uh, for an old pulp. Magazine copy. I I have one, and and uh, there's several different different old pulp magazine copies of it available, you know, from Amazon and uh, and Libris and whatever. Uh, so you can and and inexpensive. They're 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 very it's merit. Their merits books were very very popular. So there's a lot of reprints available. From back back in the 30s, they're still they're still available and readable, so you can you can get them. And uh, and I strongly, as I said, I strongly recommend it. And and uh, and, and uh, wraps it up. And and uh, so until uh, until next week. Um, good magic, and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.